this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com Welcome. And today, I am delighted to have Marcin Kleczynski. Marcin is the founder and CEO of Malwarebytes. And um, for those of you who know Malwarebytes, uh, Malwarebytes is a software program that I'm quite sure at least 50% of the world uses uh, when they have problems on their computer. I, I know I definitely have problems. And uh, Malwarebytes is very effective in uh, optimizing the performance of your computer and kind of kind of knocking out and eliminating the bad stuff. But uh, I, I am delighted to have Marcin. Give uh, the audience a brief summary on you know how you got started in your entrepreneurial journey and leading up to uh, founding Malwarebytes. Sure thing. So I was actually 14 years old. This was 2003, and I'd gotten my parents' computer um, infected. It was a shared computer. I downloaded it a pirated video game, and I swear I, I've bought all software since this happened. But I downloaded a pirated video game, and all of a sudden the computer started acting really funny. And I had an antivirus, and this was my first re- revelation in the security industry where. You know, the antivirus was old and clunky and it just didn't work anymore. And more so, there was nothing out there to actually help me remove the, the, the infection I had my, on my computer. So I went online, I started, you know, doing what a sane person would do. I Googled the problem and I found a nice little community of people that helped me re- resolve the problem. Uh, I stuck around and started learning how to program and built a, a removal product uh, for malware. So you just had to run it and, and remove the malware from your computer. And then we built some protection as well. In 2008, we released the first version of our product, the flagship product called Malwarebytes Anti-Malware, and it was instantly a huge hit. Um, I went down to the University of Illinois, uh, pretty much ran this out of my dorm room for a while, and you know it's been a really interesting ride ever since. Interesting. So um, now I'm quite sure a lot of people are ignorant. They may say, well, malware, they're probably familiar with the word viruses, um, but maybe you could uh, quantify the difference between malware and a virus. Sure. So viruses uh, are very old kind of technology. They're they're there to really just infect your computer. Malware is really trying to monetize, and and a lot of the times these words just blend together. Um, when you look at the technologies that are there to solve these problems, antivirus is the old clunky, um, nice little ha- you know baseline of security. Our anti-malware product, for example, is an advanced layer of protection. So we really try to think ahead of the criminals. We don't need to see the malware or the viruses like your antivirus does. We write predictive analysis um, on the endpoint. So basically, we're trying to think ahead of what the criminals might do. You know, in a in a game that's a very cat and mouse game, uh, it's very very tough to just be reactive. We want to be as proactive as possible. So the words really blend together. Um, we tend to focus on advanced threats and sophisticated threats, and really try to think ahead of the criminals. The antivirus vendors think of threats that they've seen and really focus on uh, on the threats that they've seen and, and aren't very predictive in, uh, of the future. Interesting. So uh, you started Malware Bytes in your dorm room. Let's talk about that. Um, so uh, kind of where were you at with that? Um, I'm quite sure you probably were uh, you were a full-time student and on the side. Uh, maybe you was probably working like 30 or 40 hours. Let's talk about that college experience in your dorm room as you were building up Malware. What was that like? 
so 2008, I went down to the University of Illinois. This was after we released the first version of the product. Uh, we released the first version of the product in January. I was going down to school in August. Um, so we had some time. We've, we already started making a little bit of money. So actually, Malwarebytes was able to put me through school. Um, I had a partner out here in San Jose, San Jose, California, where the company's based. And while I was attending the University of Illinois, he was really putting uh, some, some troops on the ground. Um, we had a lot of remote employees by then, but he was really building the office here in San Jose. Uh, so yeah, I was living in a dorm room, then I moved into a, an apartment, and you know, it's a really wild experience trying to talk to press while you're in a dorm room and there's hooligans running outside and you, you know, <laughs> you have to quiet them down. Uh, it, was a, it was a great experience. You know, sometimes I had to sacrifice uh, class for, for an appointment with, you know, or, or, or we were working on some code that really needed to be pushed out. So balance, this is something I learned uh, at the University of Illinois while running the company. Um, balancing my life between education and, and actually working and, and, my, and my social life or lack thereof at the time. Yeah, so uh, that's interesting. Uh, a lot of people can't say that uh, you know their business, you know their uh, their business was able to put them through college. So that's actually very great to hear that uh, you know you're you know you you found success early with that business and you was able to uh, use that to help you uh, go through college because unfortunately uh, a lot of, a lot of students they uh, graduate with a lot, of, a lot of student loan debt. Um, you also stated that you have a partner, which 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 is very important, or depending on how you want to structure your business, but. Uh, at least in your case, uh, it definitely made things easier uh, for you there. Now, um, let's let's go into uh, once you graduated uh, from college, University of Illinois. Uh, where were you at then with Malwarebytes? Um, and let's kind of talk about maybe any challenges uh, you faced too. Yeah, I mean, the the day I graduated, we were you know we had a run rate of several million dollars. The the business had become very mature. Uh, during the University of Illinois, I was traveling as much as I could to the Bay Area where our, our office was. But that's uh, that's a tough place to get to. You're talking about two days. You know, I've had to go to professors and and move exams just so I can get to the office. But once we graduated, it was very uh, eye-opening. I, I was able to come to the office much more. I was able to interact with the employees. I, I think it actually moved us into a much better position. Challenges I had, um, one, one of them is, is definitely people. Um, when you're not really directly involved with with hiring, you know, you, you start hiring bozos, and I I don't I don't mean that in a derogatory <laughs> way. It's just people that aren't really fit for for the culture in your your company. You hire people with egos uh, unintentionally, and that's not what you need as a startup. You need people that are willing to take an extra step and, and really do what's needed. So when I did move out here, you, you start identifying people that you know may just not be the right fit for the company, and you start getting better at hiring as soon as you have that experience. Yeah, so you, you did talk about uh, uh, in, in an article uh, that was featured uh, the importance of having the right employees. You talk about having people uh, hiring bozos and egos. Now, <laughs> for you, did you did, did you outsource that? Did you have your own HR staff doing the hiring, or did you outsource that and having people bring people in from a, like a staffing firm? We we took that all in house. Unfortunately, what happens is once you hire enough people. Uh, more people are involved in these in these interviews, and if you hire a B player, then that B player then hires C players, uh, and, and it becomes this endless chain. Today, I actually interview everybody that comes into the company. I'm not saying necessarily I'm an A player, but at least I get to hire people that I think will will help contribute to the company, right? And I, I would hope I'm an A player, but. Um, you know that that's something that's really important to me. One of one of my favorite sayings was actually um, somebody. My CFO actually told me this, and it and it's uh, his old CEO used to say, 
uh, marry the believers, divorce the naysayers. And, and it's really just a reminder to to bring the people on into the company that are supportive, that believe in the company, not just people that are looking for a, a regular old paycheck. That's the type of people that you need to get off the bus as quickly as possible. Interesting. So let's let's talk about uh, kind of. The, so how big is malware? Is it is it twenty five people, fifty people? What's the size of the company? Yeah, we've we've ballooned uh, ever since I left college. We're about two hundred fifty people worldwide. Um, about one hundred twenty five are here in San Jose. We have a nice little Clearwater office, Clearwater, Florida, of about fifty people, and then the rest are really scattered across uh, the globe. We we have people working from home, and and you know we we try to hire the best. We don't really care where they are. Centrally located is great, but if if I find a great threat researcher in Malaysia, which which we have one, uh, I'm gonna hire that person because I know that their track record is to be the best they can be. Doesn't matter where where they are. Interesting. You talk. You talk about uh, previously about kind of what type of player, uh, B player, A player, and uh, I would say you're definitely an A player. Any any person has a multi million dollar business and able to have great success even before going to college because a lot of a lot of people who aspire to be entrepreneur now now they have a lot of these entrepreneurship degrees. What they'll do first, they'll go to college. And then after college, then they'll start their entrepreneurial venture. Uh, there's, there's, there's not a lot of people who actually, uh, you know. So do that's a great point you bring up. Um, and I actually, I actually recommend this to all of my friends. Don't wait too long. If you're still in high school, you have, you have crutches. You, you, you have your family, you know, that that you could rely on right now. You have maybe free, free internet and electricity that your family's paying for. Same in college. If you're accumulating those, those, uh, those loans, you know, don't, don't be silly. Go to class and get a good degree. But you have, you have, you have extra time, right? Get, get going. Get started on, on your, on your, on your next project. Start. You know, fiddling around with stuff, but also remember to have a social life because otherwise you're going to drive yourself crazy. Absolutely. Let's talk about that. Kind of, kind of, kind of relating back to that. Um, now, was your college degree, Marson, related to kind of the whole web security, or was it completely different? It was in computer science. Um, there, that was you know my passion. I started programming before I actually went, so I had a nice little baseline of knowledge when I got got to the University of Illinois. There's there weren't many classes on computer security. I think there were one or two, but by the time I was taking them, I I had kind of become a self-described expert. Um, this is something that's really interesting because there's a huge labor shortage in cybersecurity professionals today. Several hundred thousand people are missing in the workforce that, that need to be there. And it's very similar to the engineering shortage we, we went through several years ago. So, But I think universities are getting better around that. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, it definitely helps for a university if they're going to offer an entrepreneurship degree to definitely uh, hire professors who've actually had successful businesses uh, rather than having professors who just can teach theory because usually that's not that beneficial uh, exactly. for students. And uh, I agree with you. You know, people should start. You know, most, uh, especially when it comes to millennials, uh, a third of millennials uh, still remain living with their parents after they graduate. And really, uh, it, to me, it's just wasting time because they graduate all the student loan debt. So Philip Brooks is the CEO of the five-time award-winning business, Spreadshirt. Um, uh, Spreadshirt is in 19 markets, uh, a customized uh, uh, outlet that allows you to create uh, their shirts of, of various uh, different designs. And Philip, what was that light bulb moment? Because I feel like a lot of, uh, especially aspiring entrepreneurs, 
you know, they say, you know, well, you know, what is that business that can really make a difference in the world that can really offer the ultimate solution? What was that light bulb for you uh, that, that led you to pressure? The great thing in Spreadshirt is it allows anybody to publish their ideas for sale um, on a 150 products and you can create your own um, shop to sell those ideas in using our platform or you can sell those designs in our marketplaces in 19 countries. Um, actually at the time I had raised money in the UK for a similar business working in furnishing. Um, I completely believe in this model of empowering everybody from somebody who has no e-commerce expertise uh, but just has a good idea um, or has a small shop or a small business of themselves to be able to move into global e-commerce and so at the time I was founding my own business uh, in furnishing to allow furnishing manufacturers small ones um, or furnishing retails, again, small ones um, and designers to create their own e-commerce businesses. Um, right. And I so saw I Spreadshirt as actually a father move to Germany to the head office, uh, where Spreadshirt was a very small business then, doing only about $25 million. Um, we're now a $100 million business. Right. So I see it was founded in 2002. So when did you come into it? I came in in 2009. Okay. So okay. about halfway. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. And uh, in the U.S., it's a it's a big deal. A lot of people know about it, and a lot of people use the platform uh, to be able to uh, as as a way of on demand printing of you know customized clothing, whether it's for like basketball teams or you know wh wh wherever the case may be, uh, depending on uh, what their purpose is. But uh, another reason why you want because you know being very successful. Um, you know, pressure business as it is, and you're the CEO of it. Um, I think a lot of you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs is wondering. You know, sometimes they stuck in a rut. You know, so they they may have a business that's cash flowing and that's somewhat profitable, but it's kind of hard for them to scale. Or sometimes they do scale, but they they, they end up kind of backpedaling because uh, they didn't, I guess, do their due diligence or they didn't do proper planning um, to be able to scale properly and efficiently. Efficiently. Um, one thing that you noted in the article was you talked about market research and you talked about how uh, it is important to do your homework. You actually said if your business is not competitive in your home country, problems will be magnified in, in uh, all other countries. So, uh, you, so you suggested to start by visiting local retailers and watch consumers. And uh, now, now let's kind of go into that. Let's talk about um, how how Spreadshirt did that. Maybe what were some challenges? You know, dig deeper into that. Okay. So even with Spreadshirt being a hundred million dollar business, we cannot afford a lot of expensive research. Um, and we're in a new market. Um, the only way to really find out about your customers and what they're doing is to go and watch them, to go and talk to them, um, and really get out there and have a look. So um, I, in every city I go to, I go and look at what t-shirts are selling, um, what the themes are that people are wearing. Um, I'm watching people up and down the street to see what kind of clothing they wear or what kind of things they have on their phone cases. Um, and I yeah, just have to get in the habit of walking up to people and saying, hey, I like what you've got there. Where did you get it and why did you get it? Uh, the good news is, is it's quite cheap. 
the bad news is that occasionally somebody thinks you're chatting them up um, and actually are genuinely interested in their clothing. Um, but it's a, it's a very simple thing to do and you can monitor a lot and learn a lot by watching successful high street retailers, um, in our case, to see what's going on. Interesting. So uh, now, uh, Sprecher started in Germany and then it eventually became in the U.S. Is that correct? Do you want to start reaching the finish line? Then start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. Um, we started in Germany in 2002, rolled out across most of Europe in 2004. Uh, I think we came to the US in 2006. And we got to Australia and Brazil last year. All right. Now, for most entrepreneurs, they will say, well, you know, it's, 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 it's more or less on-demand on demand, on demand printing for T-shirts. Um, what would you say for people that think that maybe an idea is so simplistic, it's not worth doing their due diligence, they can just open up shop in a different country? Uh, what would you say in regards to that? It, would you say it's worth that? Uh, the entrepreneurs still do their due diligence, no matter how simplistic it, um, the idea may be? Um, no, I think they could go ahead. Um, but in nearly every international business I've dealt with, you roll out into another country very quickly. It goes so far, you get some sales, uh, that looks great, and then it stalls. And you'll never know why it stalls unless you go to that country. So um, right now I'm talking to you from the Boston office um, in Massachusetts. Um, I have to spend personally two to three months a year in the US. It is my biggest market. And it wasn't until the German head office started listening to our American team and looking and understanding America that we actually became successful here. And the same is true anywhere that you, you can roll out a simplistic idea. Um, but the difference between just being there and having a little bit of incremental sales and truly being successful and being a competitor uh, in the country um, is truly understanding your customer in that market. I think that's very well put, Philip. I like how you put that. So let's continue because uh, there's multiple factors uh, when it comes to uh, especially things, startups, looks, money, Spain, or business. Uh, let's talk about company culture. Uh, talk about the importance of company culture and maybe give us kind of a preview of the company culture of Sprecher. Company culture or any successful business is based on people and you cannot move fast if you're trying to do everything yourself. You have to get people in to do it for you. Um, so in the end, um, it always falls down to having trusted people um, and having good communication with those trusted people. Now, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, if you don't have people who you can trust, um, you're just going to hit failure. But even the best people in the world and the most trustworthy people in the world cannot be successful if you're not telling, giving them the context and the communication to be successful. Um, and that is, 
I guess the backbone of my success throughout all of my career in the end um, is finding and setting up trusted people. Um, otherwise, the company cannot move forward. Let me now, say this, Philip. What makes your company culture maybe special? Because um, there's there's certain type of company cultures in where um, kind of there's no managers and kind of everyone's on the same level, and they, or they may have like uh, team moderators to kind of make people feel like um, everyone's feedback is just as valuable. Or or some people have traditional model as well, but maybe it may be slightly different. What oh, at least I have put special emphasis on. Um, really empowering people. Not We don't all have to be at the same level, but we have to empower people to do their jobs. And we, that means they have to be able to make decisions. Uh, they have to be able to make mistakes. Um, otherwise, they'll never make a decision. And mistakes will happen. Uh, only people who don't make mistakes, or people who don't make mistakes, are people who aren't doing anything. So I've tried to build a culture here where you're empowered to roll part of the business. And that varies from people running factories or running whole countries to even people running relatively small departments or small areas. They have to make the decisions. They are in control of their area. Um, and they have to move it forward. And if they make a mistake, we have to support them in sorting out that mistake. But equally celebrate the mistake as here is an example of somebody moving forward. Otherwise, you find an organization, as it gets bigger, is just scared to move. Um, or all the senior people have to make all the decisions, in which case you need to work seven days a week, 24 hours a, a day. So that is a fundamental uh, in our business. But that's not to say we don't have um, problems and issues. Sometimes make people make big mistakes that um, hurt a little bit. But again... I would rather do 10 things, uh, two or three of which will be amazing, um, one or two of which will be terrible, but you can stop the terrible things quite quickly, um, and you'll be getting 10 things done rather than one or two things. Welcome, and today I am delighted to have Aubrey Marcus. Aubrey is the founder and CEO of the Austin-based health and fitness company, On It. I recently he's named... Uh, on the Inc. 5000 list, coming in at number 496. Uh, it's one of the fastest growing health and fitness companies in the US with a three year growth of 921%. Uh, his company doesn't just sell total human optimization, they live it. Uh, you can come into the on the headquarters, find someone bettering themselves. Aubrey Julian wants to generally wants his team to be happy, reach their goals, so he provides his team with the work environment mentality they need to be happy. And productive. Uh, let's talk about strategic partnerships, alliances, joint ventures, because um, often a lot of aspiring, struggling entrepreneurs, uh, they kind of get started on their own. You know, they don't really have someone they can partner with. Uh, now, what do you think, uh, Arby? Did you think your uh, affiliation with Joe really kind of helped the brand kind of get a, a, a good kickstart off? Or do you think it was something more than that? Well, I think I had to create enough, you know, I had to create enough competency for even the partnership to work, you know, so Joe had to be confident that I had the skills to be able to run the company, that I had um, the knowledge to create a great supplement, because actually the samples of the supplement came before the partnership, you know, so I had to produce a truly excellent product um, before that partnership was even viable, even though we were friends. Uh -huh. um, so, but once, once I had those pieces in play, 
then having Joe as a partner was um, really just an instant catapult to a much larger audience. Um, there's really no way to overestimate the value that he brought in getting the momentum started. And then once you get a certain amount of critical mass, uh, it's a lot easier to start surfing instead of just paddling. Right. It's definitely good to have a friend like that, um, Aubrey, and um, you know, I'm quite fond of Joe of myself. But what would you say to the struggling entrepreneur uh, that say, well, it's so easy for him to say because, you know, his partner is Joe Rogan. You know, what would you say to that entrepreneur that uh, that thinks that they need to affiliate themselves with someone who's very a very noticeable figure? I mean, how would you what piece of advice would you give yeah. to them? Well, you know, it's interesting because we have, you know, we have alliances with a lot of different people. And it's interesting to see the impact that each of these individuals have. So, you know, someone like um, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Mm -hmm. he, he's been posting about our kettlebells and that's really cool I mean he's got tens of millions of social followers but it really has very little impact on the bottom line same with uh, someone like Ludacris the rapper mm -hmm. he'll post something he'll post an amazing post of all the products he has talk about how good they are and he has over 10 million followers and it has very little impact but Joe um, has much fewer followers but when he says things it makes a huge wave and we have a lot of other individuals like that. So I would say don't always think about the biggest name, the biggest celebrity, because that may not have a big impact. Find someone who has a close affiliation with their audience, someone that their audience trusts and really has a voice and a constant level of communication. And it doesn't have to be someone huge, but cultivate those relationships and because uh, they're going to be extremely valuable. So while you know not everybody's going to have Joe Rogan, there's a ton of millions of smaller Joe Rogans, influential people that are, mm -hmm. if it's just people who are influential in their own peer group, you know, find those people and forge alliances and go after those alliances, you know, like you would go after any other aspect of your business, you know, provide some kind of mutual benefit. You know, that's the form of these alliances, even forms of friendship. Friendships are agreements of mutual benefit. You're going to both mm -hmm. enhance each other's time. And I think a lot of people, they, they look at these they look at these alliances in such a utilitarian way, like how can I get this person? Well, mm -hmm. get the person by giving to the person. So the que the first question is how can I give to this person? What can I do to make their life, their experience, their productivity, their business, you know, better? And then start there, and then um, you know, go after some of these strategic partnerships. Great, great. And I like how you put that, Aubrey. And I definitely agree. You know, start forming relationships with influencers, but come at it from a genuine way rather than what's in it for me way. Now, let's kind of go into uh, geographic demographics uh, because uh, your company is based in Austin. And mm -hmm. actually, that's kind of a perfect fit because Austin is a city that's very health conscious. Yeah. Now, uh, talk about the importance of geo demographics and how that can make a difference in someone's business. Obviously, you found it in Austin, and I'm quite sure alone, uh, based on your business in Austin, has really been instrumental to your success. What advice would you give to the entrepreneur? Well, I think you know, I, I think the the place that you live is becomes part of the culture and the ethos of your business, and I think that makes that makes a pretty strong statement, you know. And it's not just where what city it's in, but what kind of facility that you're in. I mean, are you taking the time and care? Um, to cultivate something that's nice but not lavish and over the top where it looks like you're devoting far too many resources to creating an, an impression. Um, but all of that becomes just kind of part of 
part of who you are, and it should be kind of a natural expression of that. I mean, we do most of our business is not in Austin. It's you know throughout the country and throughout the world. Uh, some aspects, some of the fitness access aspects draw on that. But then you also have to look at the employees. You know, Austin is a great place because we're attracting you know really top caliber employees um, from where we're at, and that's I think one of the most valuable things that I can I can say about Austin. Great. So kind of going into the employees because awfully, uh, you know, oftentimes you know, people jump on my head and say, hey, talk more about employees. So <laughs> so definitely want to uh, um, kind of delve into that more. I'm glad you kind of uh, lead me into that. So uh, when it comes to your company culture, uh, it's definitely different than most companies. Most companies kind of a standard nine to five or maybe someone may be salary. They go to work. They do their work. They may get an hour lunch break. Uh, they come back, they may be lucky at the end of the year to get a bonus or maybe a, a company Christmas party or something like that. But I do see now uh, companies like yours, companies like Sailthrough, uh, companies like Prezi, you know, are kind of really creating a holistic company culture to really make the employees feel more appreciated. Kind of let's talk about what inspired you to kind of create a different kind of company culture model. Well, I've seen the other side. You know, I've been involved with companies that had the opposite mentality where you have, um, you actually, I was in one situation where you actually had to thumbprint in uh, to track your time by the second, you know, so that you, at lunchtime, instead of just going out and finding a place, you're like, man, I got exactly 60 minutes for lunch. You know, where can we go? And then sometimes people are having to leave meals because it was such a this crazy authoritarian system that was put in place and I saw how detrimental that was because it just creates resentment and when you have resentment people yeah all right people would be at their desk they just be screwing around at their desk they're not doing any actual work they don't actually care and the minute their time obligation is done they're gone and that's not the situation that I wanted to create you know what I wanted to do is create a system where everybody was bought in so they didn't need management you know they they believed in what they were doing and they believed in the mission and so for me, mission is first. Like, what is the overriding purpose of the company? And if you can get that really clear, and that's something greater than, you know, greater than just the selfish interests of one, you know, the mission of on it isn't to make me rich, you know, and if it was, I think everything would, you know, collapse, at least the system that I built up, because nobody wants to work under those, under those conditions, you know. Setting a mission that's a lot more for the good of all is really important. And then entrusting people to you know, follow that mission, to be motivated, to take pride in what they do, and to be supported. You know, happy people are more productive. Happy people are better employees. So we take every measure possible to make sure that you know our people are happy, they're supported, and they can take pride in what they do. Philip Brook, uh, who is the CEO of Spreadshirt, and uh, he kind of had a very interesting take. Uh, when it comes to his hiring process. But I really want to hear from you uh, because there's kind of like three categories, you know, more or less. You kind of have the academics, kind of the college background. Uh, then you have the experience, in, in, in which in some cases, um, the person may never went to college, but they have six, six years of experience in the field. And at the same time, you have more of the personality slash attitude and where maybe the person don't have either of the other two, but you know, you know, they really, they really uh, kind of customer oriented, sales oriented. How do you rank that 
when it comes to hiring an employee? Would you say that because the reason why I ask this, Aubrey, is a lot of people are getting frustrated with the extremely low return of college. You know, especially when it's not in, especially when it's in non-specialized uh, fields. Yep. And often when they graduate out of college, they have thousands upon thousands of dollars of student loan debt, and unfortunately. Um, they end up working at Walmart. They end up working at, uh, you know, McDonald's. Um, uh, there was a study by CBS that showed that uh, a little, uh, a little uh, over a third of millennials, at, after they graduate from college, are still living with their parents. So there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of a, a low return um, on investment that people are getting from college. So what would you say? Would, would you still say that you know when you look at an employee that you know? They, you, check, you know, the college is still paramount, or would, yeah. or would, would you be more open to look at their experience, or also the personality attitude? Kind of, how would you rank that? Well, here's what college is important for. College is important if you have to entertain clients and you need to make sure someone's capable of drinking and holding their liquor. Like that's that to me is like the most important part of college. Like other than that, it doesn't really matter. And I and I think I went to college. I had a good experience, but it didn't really play a significant role. In me at all for what I'm doing now um, in any specific way. I'm glad I did. I took some great philosophy classes. I took some uh, some theater classes that I really enjoyed, some of the classical civilization. I was able to do things that I loved in college, and I was fortunately in a position where um, we had the financial capability to, to allow me that in my family. Um, but it's not, it's not something that I particularly look for. What I look for is a simple criteria. Have you been great at anything? And if you've been great at anything, I can have a high degree of confidence that I can teach you, or whoever in our you know executive team can teach you to be great at your job here. You know, greatness translates to greatness. So more important than college, if you do go to college and you're exceptionally great at it, great. You know, then you've shown that you're great at college. If you're great at college, you can be great at this job. But if you're just going to college to graduate, any, you know, not anybody, but it, you can you can get away with that without having to be great, you know, without being forced to do that. So, no matter what it is, whether it's college or military or a job or a blog or a, uh, it could be a sport or a hobby. If you're a great fisherman or a great angler or a great <clears throat> ping pong player, I don't care. But as long as I know that you've put in the time necessary to be great at something, I I know that you know the process and I have a lot of faith that you great working for me here at Honor. Great, great. So kind of summing it up, like, you know, you, you don't really place no heavy bearing on college. I don't. Not, not hardly at all. I mean, obviously, we have a general counsel on staff. You know, I like mm -hmm. to see where he got his law degree from <laughs> and where he went to school. I mean, something specific like that. You know, if it's an accountant, you know, you want to make sure that they have their, um, you know, they have their pedigree. But otherwise, for the most part, you know, I couldn't even tell you where our chief marketing officer or our chief operations officer went to college. I have no idea. I don't care. Right. That was not a that was not a factor. It was what they had done prior. And you know, in, in my mind, the sooner you get started on building that, you know, building that resume of things that you've been great at, um, the better. Great. And Aubrey, if people want to follow you, how would they do that? Yeah, I'm on social at Aubrey Marcus. Um, pretty much every network and then you can also follow on it o-n-n-i-t at on it and uh, check the website on it.com also have a blog in my own podcast the Aubrey Marcus podcast you can uh, 
reach all that through my own blog, AubreyMarcus.com. Great. Aubrey, thank you for being our guest. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist has seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.